to your 19th hangout with the sons of selvage this is a podcast where a group of friends get together to talk about denim menswear and related interests we aim for this to be a fun and inclusive podcast where you feel like you're hanging out with longtime friends but be warned there's a bit of banter cutting up and explicit language speaking of longtime friends it's been a while since we've all just sort of hung out and talked current interest and banter and uh a bunch of tomfoolery so this episode's actually just going to be a general hangout with the founders um, there's no specific discussion topic or guest. We're just going to kick it and see where things go, which I think should be a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, Kevin's uh, traveling the world, so he won't be with us this episode. But uh, yeah, I hope you uh, enjoy it. And um, maybe Andy, you want to kick things off? Uh, yeah, I suppose I can. Um, sorry, it's, it's been a hard weekend with a, a, an angry toddler. Um, yeah, um, what, what kind of. I didn't know I came over. Hey. <laughs> Let's run out of Bridgerton. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, my my big fad um, at the moment, and I got into it literally this week, and it's 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 fucking amazing. And massive shout out to um, Paolo over at um, Middle Earth Crisis podcast for introducing this to me. But it's a podcast called um, Old Gods of Appalachia, which is. Um, a horror anthology podcast they've done three seasons with a few kind of uh short kind of uh kind of segues in the middle uh, or interludes and it's all kind of set in like an alternative appalachia kind of in the kind of early 1900s to kind of like the, the stock track um the 1920s stock crash period it's all kind of in kentucky and tennessee and georgia and the guy who uh, narrates it is he's kind of a native from around there and the woman who writes it is the same and it's just super atmospheric and it's really really well done um like you wouldn't the first season alone is which i kind of smashed out in about two days and it's like um 10 episodes each about half an hour long is just really really kind of creepy and and kind of it's got lovecraft there's loads of like lovecraft elements in there and stuff um minus the uh the the blatant racism um but he, he's he's it's he, really really well done um i'm, I'm halfway through in fact, I'm, I'm over halfway through season two at the moment uh i literally started listening to it uh probably tuesday it's, it's fucking mega and like they're, they're really involved with their community they've got a really good community set up um they, you know, they do a Patreon, but all that that gives you access to a few extra storylines that they haven't released normally. Um, and they can they do like live readings on Discord and stuff, like one shots. And they've just this is something that maybe David will like. They got backing to make a tabletop RPG out of their storyline, and that did a Kickstarter, and they've hit like two million dollars on backing for it. That'd which is cool. like in is massive and it is it is it's not like miniatures or anything like that. it's just like a like a dungeon dragon style is some books but people have got so into it that they've just smashed all their um kind of backing targets and they hit their top one already and they've still got time to go um so yeah it's really really cool if you like something that's 
like something that's a little bit um, spooky, definitely uh, worth uh, a download. It's on iTunes and it's all free, bar a few storylines which you have to get through Patreon. Yeah, I've got a, a book to be read. Um, Matt Ruff, he's done like a few different kind of science fiction slash fiction books, but he wrote that book, uh, Lovecraft Country, which is oh, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, kind of Lovecraftian meets sort of American racism problems. I wonder, is it kind of in that ballpark or? Um, I say I haven't watched Lovecraft County yet um, or read it, but maybe it's not, it doesn't kind of go into like really obvious Lovecraft references, you know, it doesn't go into like Cthulhu and the old gods and all that stuff. Everything, all the gods mentioned in it are more like, they kind of describe it as there's these areas within America that where these kind of old gods or spirits have lain and kind of everyone who's from the land, so like the Native Americans, they know always to avoid that place because it's it's sketchy. But all the um, kind of the white settlers have come in and they don't know all this stuff and they've just gone in and started smashing it up and like the railroads have caused it and the mining and it's all kind of brought it up to the up to the fore. A, a bit on the, the gaming world, um, mm. two things that are kind of related to that that are interesting is there's this uh, really popular board game called Spirit Island. And um, the, the kind of premise of it is you're, you're the spirits in this island somewhere in a, uh, in a mystical ocean, doesn't really matter where it is. And you've got like... Um, in the age of sail, you've got conquistadors kind of coming into your islands. So you've got like Spanish conquistadors and French, you know, whatever else. And you're basically the spirits on this island sort of fighting them off. Uh, so like you're like the ocean current spirit or like you're the, I don't know, lightning spirit. And you're basically kind of like trying to destroy these conquistadors and invaders from, from blighting your land. And the natives know about you and worship you and kind of fight with you and um all, all the like superpower cards in the game are like um they all sound like heavy metal bands they're like earth crushing grasp of volcanic destruction or whatever i love um, that album <laughs> and it, it's a super super good game um and the other game of interest is called uh, horrified american monsters and it's more like a um more of a family-friendly slash enthusiast game, so horrifies a bit more. Kind of anyone can play it; it's not too complicated. But they did a, a an epi, like a a box of it that's all these kind of like American folklore monsters. So it says you've got Bigfoot, Mothman, Jersey Devil, Chupacabra, Banshee of the Badland, Badlands, and the Ozark Howler. So I'm wondering if there's some kind of crossover with uh, the creatures you're trying to survive against in, in that game and and um characters in this podcast you have to I have to give it a try mate i think they've done everything they've kind of based they've looked at kind of the old appalachian folklore and then they've created everything some some characters are based on real people and then they've kind of run with it so the there's the running characters of the walker sisters and they are they were real people um, around that time and they owned this um house out in the out in the hills that was kind of um i think if it, if it's true to the story it was originally a parlor house that then became a home for uh women on the run hmm. kind of like a refuge uh and they've kind of run with that and then added kind of a an uh, like a magical element to them with their their ability their stuff um as well as like the the really kind of uh eldritch Lovecraftian stuff so they've just kind of run with it it's really good 
actually sounds like Cormac McCarthy inspired maybe. I know like he did kind of his post-apocalyptic stuff with The Road, but some of his other books, I think, kind of get into the mystical a bit and kind of the folklore. Uh, yeah, I've heard that mentioned. Um, maybe with less uh, um, necrophilia, if we're, if we're going mm. up like Blood Meridian. What? <laughs> less necrophilia. What? Less? <laughs> I'm outraged. <laughs> Why am I even here? <laughs> Yeah, the, the like road. The, the uh, scariest thing about Lovecraft is his lack of lips. It's just horrible. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna check that out. I'm, de- I'm definitely gonna listen to the podcast and uh, I'm tempted by the RPG. Like I've just found a oh. local D and D group that I might try and start t- attending. I will. Um, I'll send you a link to the um, the website. Um, it's all, I say, it's all on iTunes. Just start from the beginning and just work your way through it. Because it all, from what I've heard, everything ties into each other. There's all like three characters and stuff like that. Maybe it'll feature, be featured right alongside our podcast in the best of iTunes podcasting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Top three. Mark, Mark and Basement podcast. Are those all games behind you, David? Uh, it's my wall of geek, so it's like board games, miniatures, comic books, everything. So I'm I'm in our garage bedroom, uh, which is sort of um, the place where I have to hide all the stuff that my partner doesn't want lying around the house. So um, amongst other things, yeah, there's some there's some board games there, one or two. Pretty trying to downsize. <laughs> yeah, I just got too hot upstairs, so I had to move into the basement. Uh, or sorry, garage. <laughs> <laughs> the basement where you will stay for what, the rest of your days. <laughs> I wish I had a basement. Uh, I've actually never lived anywhere that has them. Like, actually, that's not true. In Paris, they had cabs, which are like like proper underground, you know, hide from bomb bombing, you know, Nazi bomb raid type shelters. But uh, yeah, in the states, I've never had like a, a place with a basement. So Texas didn't have it. California didn't have it. UK haven't had it. So. I feel like it's an experience I'm missing, although hearing how people's basements flood, maybe not. But uh, I don't know. Could be interesting. Cool. Well, I guess. Uh, next. Yeah, I guess I can I can add something out in there. So I've obviously uh, acquired this dude uh, off of eBay. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, it's a Red Wing branded uh, Brannock device I bought some months ago. Um, I, I've wanted it, I've wanted one of these guys for a while because. Um, I always have problems with getting my shoes to fit and um you know in, i'm a us 10 and like i buy tens and uh my toes get squashed and um over the pandemic my feet have definitely increased like half a size in the sense that like my foot's kind of like done this a bit because i never wear shoes anymore so i, I finally kind of said screw it i'm just gonna like buy a Brannock and stop questioning you know my, my shoe sizing and and just sort of like truly under, you know, verse myself in the science of this thing. Um, so a lot of companies will base their shoe lasts off the Brannock. And I got it for like, I think 20 pounds on eBay, which is pretty cool. I'm guessing the guy might've like stole it from a Red Wing store or <laughs> one went one went out of business. Cause it's definitely like not the like standard fare, you know, Brannock you would get uh, if you bought it from them. Like, so it definitely came from a, a Red Wing store. But anyways, um, so, so why it was super interesting was like, 
I did the standard thing they always do at shoe stores. Like you put your heel here and you like see how far your, your toes go and um, you get your shoe size. And like, I'm, I'm basically unsurprisingly a US 10. Um, and so like if I went to like your standard fair shoe store, they would say, oh yeah, doo -doo -doo, your foot goes there. From there, you're, you're a 10. Do your left hit your left heel, bop, bop, bop. Yep, uh, almost a 10. Therefore, you pick the bigger two numbers and you're a 10. Um, and then of course you can do like the width and uh, you know, that like basically kind of slides side by side and you know, compares, I should probably just turn the blur off my camera. Um, but yeah, there you go. If it's right in front of me, it, like you do this, you get your foot width. So like size 10, I'm a D, you know, standard D width. But what's really interesting is I'd read a lot about um, arch length or uh, ball to, to heel length. So basically this is like your heel to your toe which is the standard measurement. But the second is you go from your heel to the the, the knuckle on your uh, big toe. So without kind of putting my toe in the air, you know, if this is my foot and these are like my toes, it's basically this big fat knuckle right there, like by your big toe. So pretend that's my big toe. Um, and you, you basically put this dude, um, so you put your finger on your knuckle and you slide this guy so that it basically is sitting right on your knuckle. Um, and interestingly, I found out that for my arch length, I'm a US 11 rather than a 10. Um, so in theory, based upon Brannock science, you pick the bigger of the two numbers. So like my left foot's like a 10 and a half arch and my right foot's an 11 arch. So in theory, all this time where I've been buying 10 uh, size US 10 shoes, I should have been buying US 11 because um, the the arch is basically like what kind of goes with the bend of your boot whereas like your toes don't really matter right because the last will stick out anyways in the front some amount um so interesting yeah uh i i've been buying a lot of my shoes too small and yeah unsurprisingly all of my shoes that are based on a us 10 are the ones that like squash my my pinky toes and you know like on the front um so yeah i'm, I'm basically having to sell a bunch of shoes that don't fit and i've, I've bought like one or two shoes in a US 11 based uh, measurement and like it's it's night and day. It, it's so crazy that my shoes just feel great now. Um, so if, if folks like want to like really get into this, I, I highly recommend uh, maybe picking up a Brannock off of eBay. Uh, be careful because there's like there's the US Brannock, there's the UK, there's a women's Brannock and a kids um, and there's a combo Euro, which has like the Euro size and J Japanese size. They're color coded, so like the black is the U.S. men's, the blue is the U U.S. women's, I think, or something like that. But you, you can you can go JFGI it and 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 figure that out. Um, but but super interesting because you know I've been buying my shoes wrong all this time, and I'm guessing when we're uh, you know boot enthusiasts and dropping big cash on expensive you know custom boots or MTO boots or just really nice ones, uh, it's a bummer if you buy them too small. And um, as far as I understand, like the boots meant to flex after the arch before the toe box. So kind of like right there, we're almost like where the laces start. I mean, it depends on the sole, really, not the, not the upper, but you know, there's a flex point like past the shank where your boot's supposed to do this. And if your ball isn't sitting exactly there, it can actually give you foot, foot pain. Uh, it can, and it can also make the shoe not break in correctly and wear correctly. Um, so, so yeah, it's a big it's, deal. And yeah, it's always meant to be the widest part of the boot, the shoe. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you kind of see like your 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 shoe kind of go like this, it's like the the fat part. But if I understand correctly, it's the widest part of the upper, not the widest part of the sole, right? Is that is that correct? I was always told the sole. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it depends if most boots I've sold, the widest part of the boot is the sole as well. So maybe it depends on the shape of the boot. Yeah, I was thinking that, and I assumed it was it was that simple. But I noticed on some boots, like the curvature of the inside of the instep, if you look at it top down, the fattest part of the instep or, or the midsole is not necessarily exactly the fattest part of the upper. So I was like, well, maybe you kind of average it out and kind of pick in the middle or whatever. But I think independent of, uh, you're probably right that it's the sole because that's the part that has to flex. Um, but I guess regardless, if you if you look at most US-based shoemakers, they'll tell you that they base themselves on Brannock. So we're like, in the case of Viberg, your size is usually Brannock minus one. So if I'm a US 11, I buy Viberg size 10. Or Red Wing, I think they're Brannock minus 0.5 for some last or zero for others. So like a Postman, I'd buy a US 11, which is why my 10s don't fit. Or uh, if I was buying like a, an Iron Ranger, I think I'd buy a 10 and a half, whereas I've historically bought a 10. And so like a lot of you know, my shoes just don't fit anymore. Um, so it's worth worth investing in one. Or if you've got a friendly shoe store that's local to you, go pop in there and ask them to do your arch length in addition to your heel length. Um, that said, though, I don't think most UK shoemakers use the Brannock. Uh, like I went into trickers and they just started like grabbing shoes and like put them on my feet and kind of like squashing my feet and stuff. They never actually measured me. So um, I don't know. It, it's interesting regardless. I do remember uh, as a child going to Clark's and and they'll always have the proper foot measurement device and, you know, they put a little bit of tape around the top of the arch. Um, so yeah, Clark's always does. Yeah. Clark's and Hush Puppies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know whether that, that's changed recently, but I agree. I think uh, a lot of shops nowadays probably won't measure your 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 foot unless you specifically ask for it. They will just say, do you want to try nine or ten or something like that? Um, which is, I guess, also kind of a changing service, maybe. Mm. Yeah, so, it's a shame. Because I've definitely, like, sold my Alden Shell Cordovan boots, which now I realize why they they never, they're always kind of a bit squashy in the toe. And then yeah. I need to sell my indie boots. And then I've got some Vibergs that probably technically don't fit me anymore. Uh, one of them's unstructured toes. So maybe it'll, it'll kind of. It will give a little bit, but if it's not that comfortable, then, you know, there's a little bit of, unless you want to do some kind of uh, experimental yeah, changes <laughs> to your to your boot but yeah you know we've talked about this as well i've had very similar issues uh post-covid with my feet splaying a little bit and i've had to sell quite a few of my booties yeah unfortunately. maybe and maybe a, a separate discussion topic in general uh is apparently over life people's feet will naturally increase in size so there's almost this kind of like interesting thing where it's like unless you are really rigorous about your lifestyle you probably get fat as you get older and your feet will naturally get bigger whether you want them to or not and so it begs the question a bit about how much we should invest in high-end footwear knowing that you know oh have it for life but in in you know 10 20 years like your feet are almost guaranteed to be bigger um and therefore your shoes won't fit my feet are big enough as it is i'm already a size 12. <laughs> i don't get anybody bigger 12 and a half in your left. future man 
Although I have, I got a pair of Dana boots that my girlfriend got me for my 40th that were too big, so I've not worn them and I've been meaning to sell them. So you're saying I should keep on to them? Keep, keep them for, you know, yeah. when you're 60. When I'm 60, yeah, I've got these big old fat size 13 feet. Yeah. 20 year investment plan, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep them in the cupboard and then one day I'll be like, look, they fit. <laughs> oh, great. And at that point, they'll be vintage, so oh, even yeah, cooler. Yeah. Worth a fortune. The, the Dana boots are Dana boots are chunky enough, and especially if you've got size twelve feet and then accidentally buy Dana boots mm-hmm. that are too big for you, um, they are some big ass shoes. They're so quite I heavy. recently, I recently did some some Dana research, and, and, and as an example, they size to Brannock. So they basically say our, our shoes are size to Brannock. So would you take your Brannock device exact uh, Brannock size exactly? So like I would buy US eleven in Dana, but they say. That said, even though they are sized to Brannock, they're a little bit long in the toe box because they're kind of a bit narrow. So I'll say some people will size down half a size from your Brannock size um, just because of the, the length of the toe box. But that only kind of really works if you've got a narrow foot. And if you've got a wide foot, then you probably stick to your normal size. So I think this is why a Brannock device is so interesting in that if it's an American-based company, it's almost like a, a math formula that's that's like guaranteed to be right on their website and obviously you know they, they all have disclaimers that everyone's feet are different your left foot and your right foot probably aren't the same size blah 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 you're missing some toes but you know um in general it, it seems like it's a pretty useful system and I, I, they should have these things like in every shoe store and everyone should should know how to use them because they're dead simple and they're cheap you know it's, it's like a just a chunk of aluminum um yeah it's interesting Thank you for the the foot science, David. Definitely science. measure folks up at the the next uh, hang. But I'll bring uh, yeah, let's, lots let's of I'll, <laughs> I'll bring lots of hand sanitizer to after dealing with your your grubby socks. Is it just gonna be feet you're measuring, David, or any other body parts? <laughs> I want to know my well, whip. <laughs> <laughs> Top one is just gonna sit on it. Sorry, Lex. <laughs> I'm a size three. <laughs> I'll make sure and bring my kids Brannock for you. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, yeah. I have been listening and just finished last week uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, uh, who's the um, co-founder of uh, Nike or Nike. Or the uh, UK population. Ooh, um, I'd love to read that. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, it kind of chronicles. It's a memoir, and it chronicles his, uh, you know, the journey from uh, him starting Blue Ribbon, which was the first sports company that he founded, um, traveled to Japan, and um, was um, uh, distributing Tiger Onitsuka uh, in the US, and that's kind of how he started. But yeah, it just kind of chronicles all the steps. The business went through uh, all the challenges it went through um and yeah i kind of got a, a a much deeper appreciation for nike and the kind of the the history and its innovations that i kind of i guess i knew but i forgot about and especially with all maybe um all the bad press they w- would have received over the last 20 years or so especially like in the um in the 2000s um, about the factory conditions and things like that 
they probably, you know, kind of suffered a little bit from that point of view. Um, but despite that, yeah, it's it's a really interesting book, and um, yeah, it just kind of uh, shows, you know, if you're if you persevere and if you keep going, and you know, if you take risks, it's you know, sometimes it pays off. Um, so yeah, it was quite uh, quite enlightening and uh, yeah, quite inspiring as well. Um, so really enjoyed that. Have you Does... listened to the Sneakonomic podcasts? Uh, no, I haven't. So that's if you're into kind of shoe history, that's a really good yeah. podcast. Okay. Um, it covers again uh, all Blue Ribbon and the start of Nike, but as well all of the other shoe manufacturing. It basically has a history of trainers. Okay. Um, and it covers all of them. So for any kind of sneaker geeks out there, I'd really recommend that. Um, it's a really interesting, interesting podcast. Yeah. I'm not necessarily a sneaker geek, but I, I, I like. Um learning the history of these kind of you know of brands and you know especially if it's people behind them that's what I quite find fascinating but I'll have a look at sneak is it sneakonomics sneak sneakonomics I think it might be done by the BBC but again again it's available wherever you sneakonomics get. BBC4 yeah okay yeah, cool yeah, be the one. Um, yeah I'll have a look at that just subscribe to both that and the Appalachia one on my phone so I'm, I'm keen to, to check those out I'm actually a, a bit of a closet Air Max fan. Um, I remember when the Air Max 95 came out when I was in junior high. Yeah, uh, and like falling in love with those shoes. And my buddy lent me his pair because like I, I couldn't afford them at the time, and his were all beat up. But I, I was like, oh, these are so great, and someday I'll, I'll own them. So I've kind of got a couple Air Maxes that uh, I love. And um, I'm interested to know, does the book go at all into like the, the design of some of the like really um, famous Nikes or is it more just like kind of the, the evolution of like the business abstracted from individual it's, shoes? It's yeah, the, it goes into a couple of them, but it's more about the technology. So like when the air bubble, you know, was introduced, there was a little bit talking about that, but it's it's more about the, the business side of it, I would say, rather than going too deep into um, specific things. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's more about the people around um, Phil Knight um, mm. that were there with him uh, at the start of it. So, um, but yeah, they do touch up on a bit uh, on a few models, obviously, but nothing in in, in great depth. Or I'm still uh, I'm still slightly emotionally scarred. I remember I had my my favorite pair, which is still my favorite pair, the Air Max uh, 1999 uh, tuned or Tune Max 99s, they've got two names, whatever. And I remember I was like uh, walking to the Urban Outfitters in Austin right after uni one day. And like, I was like walking around and I hear, oh no. And I looked down and like, you know, the kind of like magnetic security tags that they would like put through clothes, so you don't steal them, that have that big push pin. Like oh. half of one of those is laying on the ground. It had like gone through my air bubble um and i tried to like super glue it but you know they're pressurized so like i always had kind of had one shoe that was like slightly squashy afterwards um and i believed in nike's customer service at that time so i was like i contacted them i was like hey can i send them back and get another pair and like oh yeah we'll send you another pair and i was so excited you know get gonna get my shoes repaired or well replaced um like three months later a, a box shows up and i open it and it's like a different air max wow. and i was like that's not my shoes. <laughs> I was so I was so saddened because like it was not the same style and like these just they just weren't near as they weren't as cool. 
So um, uh, I remember having to uh, put my my pair, uh, this other pair on eBay and like crying the whole way through it. But um, they just re-released them. <laughs> they just re-released these Air Maxes last year. And I bought a pair when they did the reissue. But that was also during the pandemic when my, my foot had grown half a size. So I had to sell those on. And I, I finally got a pair half a size bigger. Um, I haven't even worn them yet because I'm like, there's such like a historical thing. But but interestingly, um, at least from what I remember at that time, the construction's nowhere near as good. Like there's a lot more faults in the in the make and like, you know, kind of bad stitch here, glue splooge there. And they just definitely don't, they don't, they're not made as I remember them being made. But that said, maybe I'm just kind of more woke to craftsmanship. Well, maybe, but also like one of the things he does touch upon is the, the use of different factories. And, you know, first they were making them in Japan uh, when it was, you know, still cheap to make them in Japan. Uh, then they went to Taiwan and Vietnam and then finally into China. They were, I think they were one of the first sneaker companies to go into China. So they had a head start um, on that side, which has, you know, really, really helped them. Um, so, yeah, you know. I'm sure your your different uh, iterations of your Air Maxes were made in different places and different mm -hmm. factories and, and and so forth. So, um, yeah, yeah, the children can't you know work as high quality. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll touch on something similar in a later uh, discussion topic point. <laughs> Lex, would you like to? Uh... Uh, Go next. Right. Uh, okay, so it's been a while, hasn't it? It's obviously since we've had a discussion topic. Uh, so I will um, do a long and slightly rambling story about white t-shirts, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. Yes. It may or may not have a point, so I apologise if it doesn't have a point. It probably doesn't have nothing I said has a point, really. Anyway, so um, I went on holiday a few months ago. Before I went, as you know, I wanted to buy some new fresh white t-shirts because, you know, white t-shirt on holiday is always good. So uh, I went to the local Edwin shop to buy, you know, they get two packs of t-shirts. Um, uh, went to buy a two-pack of t-shirts and they'd sold out. And I couldn't find any of these two packs anywhere. Went on holiday about my t-shirts. Came, came back and I was like, right, I'm going to look to try and get some t-shirts. And I thought, I want to upgrade. Um, because I've been like thinking, you know, I want to get a slightly nicer T-shirt without spending too much money. Um, so I I went onto the market. Market. How do we pronounce market? Okay. Market. Yeah. Oh, is it just market? It is market. Music's my ears. Anyway, I went on the market website and got some trust T-shirts because I'd read about them. Um, and they came back and they didn't quite fit correct so my second attempt at buying t-shirts had failed miserably um so then i managed to somehow uh get on set up an account with amazon japan um to find some whitesville t-shirts um so that took a while actually no, i forgot i bought some t-shirts actually from another japanese website got them sent through um and they're the wrong size so i had to give them away to my brother-in-law set up an account with amazon Oh, then tried to buy another set of t-shirts on the same website, bought them, and then they contacted me saying, we can't send them through to you because um, because of Brexit, you need to do an over an order of over, I think it was about 
150 quid, which would involve me buying eight T-shirts to do that. I was like, I don't need eight white T-shirts. So that got cancelled. Then went on to Amazon Japan, finally managed to get my white T-shirts from Whitesville. Um, and if actually it's a reasonable price. I think I managed to get two pairs for, oh, sorry, two, two, two packs, about 100 quid, so 25 quid a T-shirt. Um, got them sent through, really excited, turned up in the post, bloody FedEx left them on the doorstep and then someone stole them. Um, oh. I, have a really, really, I have a really small front garden, like it's about a metre long and literally they just left it on the doorstep. Like, it could not have been more obvious. So there's now like some pikey in Peckham who's walking around in these snazzy, really, really nice quality Japanese t-shirts. Um, <laughs> anyway, finally, about my fifth or sixth attempt at getting t-shirts through, I end up re the, um, I think it's Rodeo Japan on um, Japanese Amazon, basically resent them for free because obviously uh, they got nicked and eventually I got them and I'm wearing one now. So the point of that long and rambling story is one, um, the white, yeah, I don't know if you guys garden. have ever, hmm? yeah, buy a bigger front garden, which in London <laughs> is impossible. Um, no is one, uh, I would recommend Whitesville t-shirts. I don't know if any of you have ever bought any before, but yeah. um, really good quality t-shirts. Um, yeah, once I got the right size, I'm really kind of pleased with the fit and the quality of them. I really like it. Uh, two, oh, setting up an account on Amazon Japan, actually, you can get things quite cheaply because they cost about high, I didn't pay any import duties, it's about half the price that you'd have paid for uh, getting them in the UK. And then point three is just the amount of bloody difficulty that we as a kind of group of people go through to get the simplest things. I was telling this to my mum and she was like, why do you have to buy white T-shirts from Japan? Why can't you just buy a white T-shirt? Can't you just go to M&S? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah no, but they're, I'm like, no, but they're Japanese white T-shirts. And she's like, yeah, but it's a white T-shirt. Um, <laughs> Not the right kind of white T-shirt though, is it? Yeah. Like, yeah, but this is a good white T-shirt. Yeah. The irony is it doesn't really have anything to do with uh, our interests, but rather it's all to do with the UK government. Like in the US, uh, Obama put a, I forgot what, it was, what you want to call it, like a executive mandate or something in order to boost international trade. And you can get anything shipped to the USA from anywhere on the planet under 800 US dollars yeah. and not pay a penny of uh, duties, wow. tax, whatever. So it's like, if you're in the States, it's like open season to order from your, your white t-shirts from Japan, whatever. It's just this damn UK government that uh, wants unfortunately, to... Unfortunately, our MPs don't know how to negotiate uh, <laughs> with uh, anybody else uh, yeah, outside yeah, their own country. Hey, hey Liz, Liz Truss, who is very much likely <laughs> to unfortunately be our next prime minister, uh, she negotiated an amazing trade deal with Japan. No one knows actually what the concessions are, <laughs> but there was a deal. That was a deal, I mean, but they won't tell you what happened in the deal. Yeah, because <laughs> fuck all was organised. The thing with Parliament is they just spend too much time shouting and not enough time actually like working through problems. <laughs> Whenever I hear how Parliament sounds, like from an audio standpoint, it's like it's complete insanity. Um, but I guess they get stuff done, uh, so whatever. That that's that's just um, after time. That's just PMQs, which is just an excuse to shout at whoever's the prime minister. And and tell him he sh tell him the shit. Got to get out of that repression uh, somehow. <laughs> yeah. Stiff up a lip. Um. 
Yeah, yeah I, I I had some uh, Whitesville um, tees legs, but I also sized wrong. I, I was actually bought them in person in Japan. Didn't have much time buying um, in person, and the guy was like, "Oh, you're you're like double XL." So I was like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you definitely be definitely be fine." Um, so I I took the two pack. You know, it was all shrink wrapped and stuff like that. Brought it home, and then I was like, "Yeah, this is like way too big for me." Um, so I ended up giving them to uh, Sebastian, who uh, filled them yeah. filled them up better than I could have. Uh, what what size did you go for? Well, I, I had exactly the same. First time I bought them, I bought double XL. Yeah. Because um, I took the measurements and it said on the website they shrink slightly, so I was like, that'll probably shrink down to my size, and it didn't shrink at all. So yeah. again, I gave them to my brother-in-law who who filled them up. So I went for an XL in the end, which is actually still quite loose on me, but I quite like it like that. So yeah. So are you wearing it now? Yeah. Yeah. XL. Yeah. So like the the shoulders a little bit. There's a drop shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a really yeah. quite top shoulder, actually. Yeah. yeah. So I've gotten a bit of feedback from some of our listeners that they sometimes struggle to follow some of the more kind of geeky side of our conversation. So it might be helpful mentioning like how you spell that brand's name, White Soul. So I'm, I'm not familiar with it either. Yeah, maybe you should stop White's, talking about White uh, Mill. White White's. It's White Mill, mate. White Mill. Like, Mill. It's in like a town. Mill. Yeah. Mill. <laughs> Damn, yeah. British people. I don't understand at the time. V I double L A. Also, I'm dyslexic, so I can't spell anything. So I would not ask me for spelling. Otherwise. <laughs> God knows, especially as it called Whitesville. I'd send them to some weird racist website or something like that. So do not ask for my spelling. So it's W H I T E S Mill M I L L. Bill. 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 As in like a town. Bill. Like, you don't get it really over here, but like an American town. Yeah. yeah okay. So like 50s town with a diner. Everyone's wearing white t-shirts. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Whitesville. Um. <laughs> And Similar if, question. If Five minutes our of listeners our dedicated to the pronunciation of a sh- of a t-shirt brand. If our listeners are finding it. ASMR. If our listeners. <laughs> 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 and on the sizing topic, so you guys mentioned like XL, double XL, etc. Are these U.S. sizes where it's actually got the letters, or are these Japanese sizes where it's like one, two, three, four, five, that kind of thing? It's it's actually XL. It's not Japanese size one, two, three, five. They just have small, medium, large XL and yep. double XL. So okay, standard sizing. But it's, are, are they it's, size for a Japanese build or for like a Western build? Um, I've slightly Japanese, I'd say, because um, the T-shirt, the XL that I've got is is slightly wide for me, but I wouldn't want to have sized down because then it'd be too short because I'm quite tall and slim. Um, it's, a, it's a regular cut, isn't it? It's quite yeah. a boxy regular cut, I would yeah. say. Um, but the length is is decent on that. It's not too short or anything. So I think it's it, it, yeah. it should work for um, quite a few body types. Yeah, I'm happy with the fit. As I said, I'm quite tall and slim, so quite often with with Japanese brands, when I when I buy them, I find out that either I, to get them the right length, I have to get something that's really kind of baggy on me. Uh, but this isn't too bad. And uh, Whitesville is a sub brand of Toyo Enterprise. Oh yes, yes. And I've heard that name thrown around before, but um, I'm not too familiar. What else does Toyo make? Sugarcane, Buzz Rickson. Cat's paw shoes. Um, so a lot of really solid stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very solid uh, brand. Yeah, very, uh, Sun, Sun Surf as well, the Aloha shirts. Um, Tom, any others that you can think of? What's the 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 shoe brand? The 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 Wolf Wolf shoe brand. Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. What Lone Wolf? Yeah, yeah. they they own that as well. So yeah, they've kind of got uh, a big market of brands of quality brands. Um, there's I'm just trying to think. There's also there's a little sub brand that does the chinos. Uh, really good quality ones. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, if you have if you have a look up uh, Toyo Enterprise, you'll find uh, all the all the sub brands that they uh, look after. And I've mentioned it before briefly. It's completely off the topic of of Toyo Enterprises, but uh, Benzac, their shirts are great for quite tall people. Like I'm six foot two, one eight seven cm, and like their mediums are like ample long for me. They're not loop wheel shirts, um, but like yeah, their their heavyweight tees are, are great if you're on the taller side. So. I guess because they're made for a Dutch customer. Um, you know, they're they're an Amsterdam-based company. They're good good if you need a long shirt. Yeah. And and Andy and I are just about to get some um, old but gold um, t-shirts via Mike uh, from Wild Frontier Goods. Ooh, yeah, um, we so, are indeed. So he's um, he's gonna um, dye them for us. So uh, yeah, we're excited to uh, to get some of those. If anyone didn't catch it, make sure to listen to our last episode where we interviewed Mike from Wild Frontier Goods, and he he talked about his dye process for the, for the shirts. Mm. Um, what what color are you guys getting, or, or what what type of dye is it? A candy. So the the, the pink the pinky bright, um, ready color. Yeah. Very cool. Which I can't remember what the actual dye for that is. It's a root of some kind, isn't it? It is a root of some kind. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds super cool. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> that should be probably maybe next month or so. Nice. Mm. I've done it. I pay you for that. Uh, I haven't. I haven't paid Mike yet. So Mike. Uh, oh, fair enough. So send us an invoice, please. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. On that note, um, I saw that Mike posted on his Instagram that a lot of the leather prices are going up in Japan. So. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a bit more of a struggle for him, I think, going forward to to keep making his craft uh, at the same price point. So if anyone's been interested in getting something from Wild Frontier, it's probably a great time to, to put an order in uh, to kind of help support him and uh, seeing through these uh, price changes. Yeah, 100 um, yeah. percent, especially with him have, having access to these leathers, you you know, you're not going to get them cheaper anywhere else. And, um, you know, one thing. I guess you know Mike could go and say, "Oh, I'm going to just you know buy cheaper leather or different type of leather, which doesn't cost as much." But I don't think that's kind of one he wants to do, and he doesn't want to necessarily sacrifice um, you know going for a subpar leather because he enjoys working with with the best kind of um, you know quality materials. So yeah, I think I think the price hike hasn't gone up yet. So if you are looking at something, it's a, it's a good time to do it. Cool. Shall I go next? Yes. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, so the other month I went on a stag day. Uh, and I, I think I've broken my toe or something. So that was fun. Uh, it still hurts a bit to walk. Uh, classic. And it wasn't even like that exciting or uh, a fun activity where I broke my toe. Um, we just had like a really long corridor in our Airbnb. 
and we were running really fast down it and I like stubbed my toe and it like bled everywhere and I was like okay that's why it's hurting um but then the bleeding stopped and it just continued to hurt so occasionally it feels like it's gonna like pop out which is really interesting um <laughs> did you did you leave any uh, satanistic uh, messages in the uh, airbnb for uh, someone <laughs> <laughs> written through your toe <laughs> no just lots of empty bottles uh, <laughs> like, um, you, you know we're in the uk and we have a taxpayer-based health service so you can just go and see a doctor yeah but like because it's like my big toe i don't think they'll do anything for it they'll just scan it and be like yeah that's broken broke the nhs uh, actually tells you no, the NHS tells you to stay at home for broken toes. Um, Is it? Yeah, yeah, because I broke mine. I, I, oh, because I dislocated it as well, so I went to hospital. And all they do is sellotape it to the next toe and then tell you to get on with it. Bit of a splint. Yeah. <laughs> Use your second toe as a splint. Just go. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> literally what they do. You go in and they... they would normally replace all of your bones with adamantium steel for the cost of 50,000 US dollars. And send you up on a drug program. Yeah, lots of opioids to go with that. <laughs> all, all they do here is is just look at you and go, stop being a fanny. And, then, yeah. <laughs> and tape it up. Uh, how, long ago would, how long ago did you do that, Tom? Oh, it's like been over a month now, so yeah. yeah. The rot's kicked in. Everything smells slightly of almonds. <laughs> uh, it's gone green. Measure if your foot shape's changed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, David's kink coming out now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me measure your feet. Uh, um, and then to kind of survive in the heat, I got some lovely TCB monkey pant shorts in tiger stripe. I'll stand up. Nice. nice. Have you cut a hole in the um, back of back the massive foot pocket? <laughs> No, why would I do that? <laughs> then you'll never need to go to the toilet again. <laughs> Actually, I know a factory that might be able to sew that for you. No, I'm not going to change them. But it is interesting, like walking around my work office in them, and people are like just staring, like, why has he got a big pouch on his ass? Then, you know you have to explain um the only thing i find about them is that the front patch pockets aren't in the most easily accessible place um they're, they're a bit weird in, in terms of because they they kind of like stand start... up and show us don't stub your toe <laughs> they like start just here on the widest part of your hip so it makes it like hard to get the space to get your hand uh, okay. in, yeah. which I'm guessing is just kind of you know the way that they're, they're quite they're quite high waisted, um, so the pockets end up on that kind of wide part of your hip, um, so it just makes getting stuff in and out of your pockets a bit annoying, really. Maybe that's where you'd like put your pistols if you were a uh, you know kind of a troop and you need to like get easy access and grenades. <laughs> With your dildos. <laughs> <laughs> dildos in the back. Yeah, oh, I have to do some editing now. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. <laughs> Only a coward edits. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like take Tom off the podcast and relegate him to like a Sons of Selvage podcast only fan page. He's, uh, he's, yeah, he, he's, he's, pay, he's behind a Patreon paywall. I'm, I'm, I'm the BBC3 of the. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's some software, David, which will uh, you know recognize Tom's voice, and you can completely clap him out. Well, it's really it's really funny because like the, the 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 format of this podcast is heavily inspired by the Sons of uh, sorry um, the Secret Cabal <laughs> Gaming Podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast, and it's like you know six dudes who are like really into board gaming, and they've got one guy named Steve uh, who who is basically like really cheesy jokes and like toilet humor slash like high school sexual humor and and tom's our our, our steve spang uh <laughs> for this <the> podcast <laughs> yes yeah which is a compliment uh, steve's cool he's fine thank you thank you I'll, I'll take that and and if any listeners uh, have any issues with me then i'll fight them <laughs> <laughs> i won't i won't, won't we'll get there um but yeah apart from that uh energy crisis that happened um so that's been interesting uh so you're all welcome for your very high energy bills uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's not like i needed the money anyway yeah i don't know who needs to buy whitesville t-shirts yeah. right. well you didn't want that <laughs> well i ended up joining your energy company when i uh changed so maybe you can get me mates rates on my uh, gas and electricity. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get you the referral thing. Like, hit me up. <laughs> 50 pound credit for everyone. Yay! My code is. <laughs> 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 uh, and yeah, apart from that, uh, been uh, oh, oh, doing, doing my, my little, little, little men. Yay. Yay. Yay, little man. Um, apart from that, not, not really. It's, it's just not the season for buying denim related stuff apart from these shorts i think it's more like it's not the the world climate for buying <laughs> denim these days <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you did you did kind of uh, make me think whether i should cut my uh tiger stripe fatigues off and uh, make them into shorts but you've already got tiger stripe short shorts yeah but then i could uh you know mix it up layer, layer, layer them up <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'll it means you, you can wear them. You can wear tiger stripe in polite company on a hot day. Yeah, yeah. Without without the potential risk. Without. Of... Oh no! Yeah. I can't get high enough. <laughs> oh, damn it! That that. Oh, 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 look at that. Thick thighs say lives. <laughs> 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 oh no! Wait. Yeah, no, no. I did get my. Was this before the last one or after? Uh, my World War Two Homo tool jacket. Uh, which which certain... jacket? Did you say Homo tool? A herringbone twill. Oh, herringbone twill. <laughs> <laughs> HBT. Yeah, yeah, a very nice first pattern herringbone twill HBT 13 star button jacket, which is very nice. What do you mean by first pattern? Uh, oh, that's the brand name, right? No, 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 no. no, it, no, no. As in, it's like the the first model that the U.S. military or U.S. Navy made, uh, and then they slightly amended it in like. 40, 41 or 42 and then there's like a second pattern which is a little bit more popular uh, a little bit easier to find in terms of vintage pieces ironically yeah. there's actually a company called first pattern i think yeah vision road i'm, maybe I'm sure them. i'm sure they're that's probably the, uh yeah first pattern rn cool isn't it that's the italian yeah brand. yeah they they make some some stuff's interesting some stuff's completely not weird well, yeah. like the hood the hood, yeah, that's what I was thinking. The hood, yeah, they've, they've got some really cool stuff, but yeah, that hood was like, okay, this is like really interesting. Um, but I guess you know, I guess some 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 people out there wearing them. Uh, um, yeah. Um, Just having a look at that website. Yeah. Unfortunately, I actually quite like the innovative stuff when like people kind of push the envelope. Yeah, it's good. Materials. It's good. 
it's good. I think you know sometimes it it's gonna really hit, sometimes it's not. But yeah, it's 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 good to be brave and put things out like that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, my um, my HPT shirt is just ripped on the back the yoke like, all across there. Um, so I'm trying to get it patched up and donned. Uh, but yeah, I think because it's such an old piece, it started the fabric started to almost become see-through at the top. So yeah, I don't know whether it's best to put some kind of backing on the on the top uh, panel. What if you did like camouflage boro type repair? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, if you go to a surplus store, you could probably buy just the 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 same kind of material. Or, or even or, or like you know a vintage piece that's like yeah. not a special one and just like borrow on the uh some cool camo you should get yeah. um who was the guy who had the vintage shop in neighborhood lane oh, let's just close ben. yeah hang up, hang up. it's actually where where i bought the shirt from okay. from ben um so yeah i think he, he's just actually started taking on repair work yeah, because his um, stuff's always, you know, he tries to find the right yeah. fabric to kind of match up, or so he'll look a little bit newer. But... I'm, I'm going to be a little bit cheap, and I'm asking uh, Lucy from uh, BLA to, to do me some uh, repairs. Nice. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm helping her out with a few bits, and uh, yeah. But who, who is also a student of Lex, isn't she? Yeah, so uh, yeah, one of my students, uh, my MA student, yeah, works with Ilya at Black Horse Lane, so... She's a talented student, so hopefully she's she, a good... she is very you talented. Pay, you better yeah. be paying her properly. Yeah, yeah, she's a uh, future future of Black Horse Lane. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to sign her up full time because cool. I think she's she's got a bright future. Cool, good news. Have you jumped when... on the industrial machines yet, Ilya? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm 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 the only thing I've jumped on is the the darning machine. Get, get on those uh get on how those, hard it is yeah get on those industrial machines i think that's my regret maybe is i, I waited too long to start sewing stuff but like yeah you know after work it's like you, those, those machines are so so um capable you can really make some cool stuff uh with not not a lot of learning mm, yeah, yeah um, I don't know. the respawn at one fucking beautiful a black horse line Really, really nice. Yeah. Um, don't start yeah. trying to use that machine. <laughs> if you break the <laughs> you break the presser head, I don't know if you can re replace those really anymore. I'm sure they're spared somewhere <laughs> <laughs> in like Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, it's just tricky. It's tricky to get you know some of that stuff, and there's only a few guys who can you know repair them as well. So no, I'll I'll, I'll leave that to the uh, the people who know how to to do it. I'm I'm not that uh, great with. Uh, machines my, my wife is much better than me are those so I'll, yeah I'll, I'll leave it to the technically inclined people uh, but maybe one day maybe one day never never say never yeah i bought a domestic machine probably like six months ago i won't go into too much detail but i will say that uh yeah it's already like paid itself back just in terms of like as you mentioned like cutting off your your trousers and making shorts or yeah. repairing garments altering garments it's like man i, I didn't realize like you know, I only paid like 300 pounds for it. It's not nothing too fancy, but uh, it's like, man, having a sewing machine at home is just like so great. It's like, oh, this kind of sucks. Oh, I'll, I'll just change it and like make your garments better. So definitely recommend folks uh, give mm. it a try. You'll soon, you'll get to the point where it's you get a constant stream of people asking you to uh, amend stuff. Once people know you can <laughs> sew, well, oh, can you hem this for me, please? Oh, I'm a steed hemming. 
Have you yeah. have you done any cool projects recently, Lex? Any repairs or anything? That's. Um, what have I been doing? I've been doing a little bit of darning. Um, I've actually I've got a few bits I've been darning at the moment, but my darning machine stopped working the other day, so it's half dismantled at the moment. So I need to look in and try and work out what's wrong with it. Oh, it's still working. It's just making really weird, scary noises. So I need to kind of work out where that's coming from before I carry on. Um, yeah, yeah a bit of darning. Uh, done a bit of pattern cutting and sampling for um, a guy called Sharpie who's got a brand, uh, well, Sharpie, so yeah, Barry Sharpie, um, which Ilya put me in contact with. Um, otherwise, not that much, to be honest. It's It's been too hot. Yeah. <laughs> too hot to do anything, especially when you've got all the machines on, it gets so hot in here, so I can't come, yeah, can't complain. Yeah, I need to get my machine out and do a little bit of crotch repairing, uh, taking out some trousers for a wedding. Uh, I'll do a little bit of work on that hair and bone tool jacket because it's got kind of like a little rip on the shoulder and there's like a little patch behind where someone had like previously tried to repair it. But yeah, I need to get it out. You know, all those little jobs like build up and you're like, oh, okay, I'll have to get it out soon. <laughs> That's what he said, way. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to Bilby, um, who we oh, met yeah. at uh, Clutch Cafe. Um, was it last month or this month, beginning of the month? Beginning of the month, yeah. yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah, ago. so if you if you haven't heard of uh, the brand, um, the chap's name is Tom Bilby, and yeah, one man brand making everything himself, uh, based up in uh, in the north of the country. Uh, Hull, I believe. He's in Hull, that's it. Hull. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly uh, which city. Yeah, so he's based in Hull. Um, and yeah, he's making uh, denim and HBT garments. Um, and he's just put out a uh, a parka or a hood parka, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but yeah, he's he's got some great um, denim and uh, Japanese HBT. So um, definitely check him out. Yeah, and I think it's kind of quite an interesting story. He got started. Uh, he's a fashion graduate. I think he said it's Manchester Met and then basically graduated from uni in COVID when there was basically no jobs, especially in kind of whole. So he just yeah. decided to start his own like one man, one man denim brand. Mm. And he's actually got it kind of got it going really quickly and actually built up quite a cool little thing in a, mm. I think about a year and a half he's been going now. So in a really short space of time. Oh, that's so. good. Yeah, he had some really cool looking overalls on uh, when we saw him. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but it looked like there was some pretty cool, pretty cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I think I think he made those especially for for that evening. Um, so cool. yeah, yeah, really talented, and and you know he's some of the stuff is very repro based, but some of it is quite um, you know a, a take on 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 different styles. So um, definitely one to watch out for and uh, and look and and, and support. Um, Mm. So. <coughs> I'm looking up his website. Uh, that way, yeah, folks same. have the right name. Is how, how do you? What's his website? Um, B I E L B Y S. I'm doing it ASMR. <laughs> yeah. Dot <laughs> dot com. B I E L B Y S. Cool. <laughs> All right. <Colon. laughs> <laughs> like he's on Instagram, no colon there. <laughs> I knew he'd have to get that in. 
No, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to help out our listeners who sometimes say they, they can't really follow some of the top the brands we're talking about. So just, just trying to help. I was help. talking about Tom's use of colon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, the way you guys say whole sounds a lot like whole. So it's, it's probably also worth clarifying that it's H-U-L-L, <laughs> the, the city of H-U-L-L. Whole. 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 Properly known as Kingston upon Hull. Oh, really? I think so. I'm probably talking out my ass there, but um, yeah, everyone just calls it Hull. Hmm. Go there for a whole yeah. blue of a Kingston party. upon Hull, city in England. It's just everyone just calls it after the after the river that it sits on. Oh, Hull like sh- they make ships there. Uh, <laughs> it is a port city actually, so you. So you, I wouldn't be surprised. There is definitely shipping involved there. Or there was. Yeah, not anymore. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, from what I know, it's, it's, pretty, it's, a, it's pretty grim up there. We just have fishermen. <laughs> that's relative to the rest of the UK or just... <laughs> Hull, Hull, is, Hull is a very specific kind of grim. <laughs> Apologies to people who live in, in Hull. Um, but Apologies, yeah. you have to live there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, I mean, I can't really say much. I come from Morecambe, uh, if, and, and and kind of our British listeners may know of that town, and uh, it's not exactly the the best place to live. Do you know, I yeah, went down I, to Bristol the other month. Um, very very nice town. Very <laughs> very nice. <sir. laughs> Surprisingly so. Yeah. Bristol. Uh, yeah, Brizzy. Ha, ha, uh, go on. Has Ricky done his uh, pilgrimage there yet? No, well, we were supposed to actually go yesterday, but um, I think with all the logistics of uh, moving around, uh, we, we found that it was going to be quite difficult. So we've kind of postponed it for another time. Ideally, I think we, it'd be best to do it by car. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to try and maybe move that. The train's not too bad. There, no, to it's be because... Say, that's, a, that's a long journey. No, it's because... We have to. We wanted to see Jamie at East West Apparel, which is just outside of Bristol, and then we wanted to go into the centre of Bristol just to have a look around, and then um, yeah, it's it's, and then return back from the centre of of Bristol. So it was, yeah, it was a bit of a, a triangle of connect the dots, and we just thought yeah, it might be we need to plan better and maybe like I said, have a car do it rather than uh, yeah and wait for boot weather <laughs> wait for well, boot uh, weather yeah i've passed my theory test in the uk even though i've been driving for 24 years in america Congratulations. so <laughs> if i get my my uh practical test done in the coming months uh we can pile into my tiny skoda yeti suv and and drive nice. to, to bristol there we go Sounds like a salvage road trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for listeners who don't know the UK very well, basically our buddy Ricky wants to try on some boots and like really wants to try them on in person. So he's going to get the train from London to Bristol, which is probably what, like two hour train ride, um, just to ensure that he can Minimum. try on the boots, which is an uh, impressive, uh, impressive determination. Dedication. Yeah. Hey there. How, how was your visit there, Tom? Yeah, no, really good. Um, lots of breweries there. Lots of really nice breweries as well. Um, and we went for a brewery tour, which I'm not going to remember the name of the brewery. Uh, <laughs> um, but the nicest, like, stout I think I've ever had. And I don't like stouts, but 
but there was like this particular stout that they were like, oh, it's it's a little bit more hoppier, like an IPA, so it doesn't have that kind of really burnt aftertaste. Bloody beautiful. Um, I mean, I was quite drunk at this point, so that might have affected it a little bit, but it was very nice. Um, but in terms of, like the actual city itself, you know, it's it's like quite uni, uh, young, hip and happening, a few vintage shops and stuff like that. Um, obviously, you know, nothing kind of our level. Um, yeah, very, very nice. Very, very pleasant place. There's that little villagey part up the hill that's kind of supposed to be where kind of a lot of the cool shops are. Not It begins with a C near the bridge, the suspension bridge. That area is quite nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a nice little few, like barbershops and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of like the old town kind of left with these kind of Victorian era buildings, which was really nice. Yeah, well, worth a visit. Yeah, definitely. Has Ilya disappeared? Yeah, the he's, 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 he's fucked off. <laughs> he's had enough. He's like, I'm going to Bristol now. <laughs> yeah. Andy, do you have anything uh, you wanted to add in? or? <sighs> to be honest, actually, yeah, there's been quite a bit. Um, cause, yeah, I missed the uh, uh, Julio episode. Um, for I can't remember why now. And then obviously we had Mike and I didn't really talk then because I was just generally shattered. Um, and Mike is amazing at just going off um, as a storyteller. So yeah, there's been quite a bit. Um, I've, I've actually bought a few things um, over the past couple of months. Uh, first up, I bought Ilya's Flame Panda combat boots because he's got Hobbit feet now and um, they don't fit him. So I grabbed them. Um, and yeah, they're great. I haven't really had much chance to wear them because of the weather, but um, yeah, they're lovely. They fit me perfectly. Um, Bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to get used to the um, conditioning regime. So I know Ilya said that he found quite a lot of products don't really work their way into that leather. Um, so uh, we're trying to like, it's just trying to work out what works on that. I've got some uh, Renovateer still, uh, some, some Sophia stuff that I'm going to try. Uh, Smith's initially worked when I left it in the sun, but it kind of never soaked in fully. So um, yeah, I think so I think we'll... it, I think I think it's just sunshine, mate. Uh, this is yeah. uh, we're talking about Mar- Mariam Horsebart leather. Yeah. Um, which was a little bit discolored after uh, yeah, I, I... The, the rain and the dirt that were kind of went into it yeah tried to I, I got i managed to get the I, I got the the kind of the marks out of it um yeah but it's now kind of that area now is exceptionally paler than the rest of the boot so it's just trying to get that back well, i i did that before i did that yeah. before on a different uh part and it yeah became the discolored as well became pale and then i left it in the sun and it kind of gone back to it so you just kind of stripped yeah. it off again so yeah. yeah that's all i was saying just leave it leave it in the leave it in the sun like today mm-hmm. um in the garden you know and then it will pick back up and then just wear it and yeah it'll 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 eventually uh it's, it's going to darken up anyway all of it um so yeah you'll just get there it's just yeah that kind of in between time cool yeah I'll, I'll 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 get i'll get on top of that um other bits and bobs um perfect for the weather i grabbed one of uh the this year's uh delray shirts by indigo fairer the kind of half sleeve linen shirts 
So I got that in a in a, in olive green, which um, is the only colour that um, seems to be available over here this year. I think last year they did it in a, in a really nice black. But um, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. It's just that just that right weight for summer. Um, and with that half sleeve, you can give it a bit of a roll, um, and it it kind of sits really nicely, just kind of like just above the elbow. Um, yeah, and um, in, obviously Indigo Fair being a, a Swedish brand started by a couple of big bikers the cuts are a really good sizing for me kind of really good fit um so yeah that was um a nice little kind of last minute kind of off 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 the cuff buy i say i say that it's, it's still quite you know still not a cheap thing but um i just thought it'd be perfect for the weather and actually it's, it's proved to be but uh, my son likes putting food on it so it's constantly in the wash um <laughs> the joys of having a toddler uh and then what else oh i, I had a, what are you I, wearing what are you wearing andy oh yeah sorry yeah i'm wearing a t-shirt by uh a t-shirt a, t -shirt, a white t-shirt a white t-shirt a white t-shirt um, white t-shirt yeah white t-shirts yeah <laughs> um this is by our very good friends uh ed and mike who have started their brand the art, dart, darty, dart, dirty, darte, darte. Yeah, I assume it's like a, a fictional person named Darte. <laughs> um, Darte's yeah, the they, <laughs> Darte just unsubscribed. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously they started their brand uh not long ago they had their little launch party their stuff is now live i think most it's pre-order but the t-shirts are kind of you can you can just buy them yeah. um they're they're kind of more uh they've, they've done more of them um yeah it's great it's um again okay, it's a really really good fit i think this this is an xl um which they said is more like an american large i'd say it's more like a european large to american medium um but yeah sits sits really nicely good length you can tuck it in if you want it's got a nice little it's got the logo on the front and it's got a little graphic on the back um really excited to see what they do next the uh, indigo hbt or navy hbt fatigue trousers are really cool mm. and were something that i would i had an eye on but uh I've, I've been offloading stuff at the moment rather than buying so uh i i, I kind of and then the money I got from offloading stuff went towards another cowbell because um, I can't I can't go to the gym anymore because I don't have time. Living that swole life. <laughs> it's it, it, it's more it's it's thick at the moment and it's mostly because I've been eating cake. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've gotten in the habit of using like my TRX in a tree in the backyard, and my neighbors are probably looking at me like I'm some kind of idiot. <laughs> or like kettlebelling on my on my patio i kind of like the whole workout at home thing yeah and it, I, it's just because um i've i've changed i've moved teams at work and um where the the new team i'm part of is very process driven so you've got to be at your computer at certain times for certain things to be done um and so the the kind of time i have available to do any kind of fitness work is really it's quite short when i'm in the office it's not a problem because the gym is you know two minutes walk away from my office 
that's fine but at home you know it's 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 so lame isn't it? it's literally like i've got to drive 10 minutes to get to the gym and then try 10 minutes back and it's those little things like that just cut into your time you're like i can't actually do what i want to do so i'm just going to cancel my membership and then uh throw chunks of steel around the um the garden hope i don't break anything i guess you do some turkish turkish get-ups to like break in a new <laughs> pair of jeans hey <laughs> turkish get-ups um that's one of my favorite that's one of my the, favorites the swing I, i'm uh i'm, I'm following um what's he called jeff newpert is the dude this is so if anyone who listens who does who likes things like this any kind of fitness and kettlebells there's a dude called jeff newpert who's kind of like the og of kettlebells after pavel um and he, he i think he's part of the same group as pavel so the whole there's like the strong first group and he has done like uh tons of of kind of training programs and books and you can download them and some stuff's available for free and i, I first followed his dry fighting weight program that was really really like it's quite a simple but really but a bit of a beast it's just half an hour um of clean and presses and front squats over like in a program then and now i've moved to another one he'd, he's got called the wolf that's a bit more technical get only takes like 10 15 minutes to do and then i've attached onto that another one he's done and it's horrible um and it's all double kettlebell work which is a whole new ball game to um, just throw one around so yeah is it does it involve any uneven stuff because that's quite good as well you can do that i mean some people because you're meant to go up after like every time you've done a pro done the program you're meant to go up a level in weight and obviously if you don't have two of a higher weight then you just offset it and swap it around each time around but yeah. no i'm still at like first round so i'm on mm. uh two 24 kilo kettlebells on this one it's not fun have you thought about investing in uh, adjustable weight bells no i'm not i don't I I prefer a proper competition bell, just because it's 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 just got a better construction and grip to it. Nice it's and tougher, it's, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, um, and then I can have a, like a little collection in the shed, which will will, will piss off my wife no end. <laughs> the shed, especially if you if you ever have to move house. <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah. Your uh, shipping weight's gone up massively. Why? Because of these things. These big metal testicles that you've got in the in the shed. Testicles. <laughs> I I have two kettlebells that the competition was with my girlfriend bought me for my birthday. Literally because they're the pink ones and they look like a pair of ball bags. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so I've just got. Perfect. Um, we all know about truck nuts back in America, right? Truck truck nuts. Mm. They're they're basically like the receiver hitch for a trailer. <laughs> you can buy like metal balls that you put in oh yes yeah. you can you can get them for bikes as well i don't know That's if i've ever crossed the atlantic uh but you could be the first one in the uk with truck nuts i'm gonna become an export they so. are <laughs> in truck nuts especially they're even better if you put them on like a little like leg like one liter uh tiny car or something put them on a little moped <laughs> oh, back wreck. on my bike I guess uh, I guess something I can add in is um, I've been on a journey with a new shoe company, so I've been getting into the the Yucatan uh, shoe world. Um, I, I've, I'm historically a fan of hand-sewn moccasins. Like I've got some quotes I wore, uh, I've worn for like 10 years religiously. Um, and I tried some O Street Bootmaker hand-sewn mocks, but they the sizing is just a bit off. Uh, 
but yeah, yeah, it's true. There's, there's bike balls too. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I thought I'd share a couple, uh, learnings from, um, Yucatan. So I'm not going to go too much into the history and stuff, but there, there's a re recent episode of the shoe cast, um, stitch down podcast where they interview, uh, Yuki Matsuda, who's the founder of Yucatan. He also founded Monitaly and one or two other brands, but anyways, um, the reason I want to talk about it is uh, some sizing advice. So I originally had bought uh, a pair of their hands. They're called all hand-sewn sports mock. In short, it's a, it's a moccasin on a crepe sole. So kind of a cross between like a Clark's, uh, a wallaby and a, and a like a quotey mock. But interestingly, um, I got them in the US 11, which is, as I mentioned, my, my new size. And they were like teeny tiny on my feet. And I was really confused and, and kind of, um, yeah, I sent them back. And uh, along the way, I, I figured out that all Yucatan shoes aren't made in the same place. So the pair I have here, which is called the Angler Mock, these ones are in fact sewn in Maine. So they're proper made in USA. Um, but I've also learned that Yucatan makes some shoes in Portugal. Uh, they make some shoes in Mexico. And if I understand correctly from the latest um, episode of Shoecast, they're they're moving, I think, their U.S. production potentially to Italy or, or adding Italy as a, a fourth maker. Um, but what I hadn't understood, but I, I do now, and I think people need to know, is that each of these factories don't have exact copies of the same lasts, right? So like the U.S. factories got a particular last from like the 1950s that was popular for hunting shoes and fishing shoes then. Whereas the one in Portugal's got a different last and presumably the ones in Mexico, another last. So uh, I got these guys off of Grailed and they're a US 11 and they're made in USA and they're they're spot on to the Brannock fit. So like they're they're an 11 Brannock, fantastic fit. And they, they fit me great across the two bo toe box, heel, whole nine yards. Um, but those ones that are made in Portugal uh, were like a whole size too small and I would have needed a US 12 so uh, if, if you're interested in Yucatan, which I recommend you might want to be because they've got this like crazy, you know, double layer um, midsole and like the actual insoles got like multiple pieces of leather and steel shank and like crazy arch support. I mean, they're, they're they basically like intentionally overbuild their shoes to a ridiculous level, um, like intentionally just kind of like, oh, let's add another layer for more thickness or let's put another steel shank to just make them as hardcore as possible, even though there's not really any need to. Um, so they're, they're, they're super beefy, but you got to make sure you pay attention to, to which factory they're coming from. Um, that so that just seems like such a bad um, kind of process to have that it, it is. inconsistency between the different factors. I mean, you're always going to get some inconsistencies and differences if you have multiple factories because there'll just be the slight tweaks on say quality control and yeah. and this that and the other but to f the fact that they're working off different lasts to produce the same boot or style seems like a really arse backward way of producing something because that's going to negatively impact your um your reputation because you're effectively you're, you're saying your quality to control is um is subpar because you're allowing those differences to be made it, it's slightly different it's um particular styles 
come from particular factories. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, you, you can discern on a per style basis where that style was made. So for example, the Angler is a USA made shoe. Okay. The main guide uh, boot, which is probably their most famous one is a US made shoe. But some of the like ones on like a crepe sole are made in Europe. So basically when you when you go to their website, it's still a ball ache. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kid here. It's like it's a bit it's, it's frustrating that you can't just pick any shoe off the shelf yeah. and expect it to fit the same because it's got the same brand. Um you have to know on a per style basis. It's like Angler, well, that, okay. But that's you, the same as other brands like Viberg will have, you know, five or six or eight lasts and you have to know which last you're buying because they're yeah. going to fit they're going to fit slightly different between each one some of them you're going to have to size up some of them you have to size down so as long as they make it clear that you know this is the lasts and this yeah. is how they fit then that's fine i don't see that as a as a big problem no i i thought yeah. it was, i thought yeah. it was that they were making the same boot in different factories yeah that would be that would be messed up yeah it's it's a per style thing and yeah. their their website it's is transparent style. it's like this yeah. is a us made shoe and it's U.S. sizing, uh, exact to Brannock. And they even go further and say, like, you know, if you're a Nike, you go down half a size. So I'm 11 and a half Nike, so I'm a 11 Yucatan. Or if you're 11 Brannock, you buy 11 Yucatan. So it works perfectly fine for their American shoes. And, like, you know, I, I, I tried on another pair that I, I didn't keep. But, like, they're they're really consistent within their USA stuff. Um, and a, a little trick that might help if you buy anything secondhand, like I did with these, is I can't quite show you here, but they hand write with a ballpoint pen on the insole M or W for men's or women's 11 E, 10 E. Okay. So like the US made ones, you know, like someone's like handwritten the size in the insole. Um, but yeah, you got to watch out for the made in Portugal ones because um, they, they do show them on their website is EU sizing. So that I bought an EU 44. But it does claim that EU44 is a US11, so I thought it would be, you know, the same exact fit. But it was like, like my toes were like bashed at the end of the other ones, whereas these guys are on the money. Another thing about Yucatan I'll add as well is they've got a bit of that kind of streetwear crossover. So like, uh, you don't just have to find them at a raw denim shop. Like you can get them it like a Mr. Porter or an end clothing and some of these brands, which yeah. is quite interesting because uh, some of those shops do like ridiculous markdowns. So at the moment, like on Mr. Porter and, you know, end and some of these websites, you can get a five, $600 shoe. That's, you know, fully hand sewn by a dude in Maine for like 200 bucks. So um, if, if you kind of follow the seasonal trends of like stuff going on sale and, coming you know kind of like clearing out a season stock and doing the next season you can get a really really high quality shoe for a pretty sweet price um and, and they've been around for like 30 years so there's a good secondhand market on like grailed and ebay and stuff so definitely recommend them um you know they're using vibram soles cortina sole which is like kind of like a, a commando sole that's made in montana um or you can get like, uh, and all their leathers, they'll use like a flesh out leather rather than a suede. So the leather is full thickness rather than shaved down like a suede would be, or, you know, a Chromexel. They do even a couple bits in Cordovan. So like they really kind of do the extra mile to kind of beef up their construction. And though I'm not going to try and explain it, it's definitely worth Googling uh, Yucatan construction. So they even have these like 
info infographics showing like all of the like eight layers of material that go into their their souls and, and midsole. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think glowing endorsement so far. Um, if you're into hand sewn style, which I, I really like, uh, but yeah, just be careful. You check for a given style where it's made before you buy them. Nice. Go oh. next. <clears throat> um, I guess I'll go next. Um, what have I been up to? Uh, I have been making use of my uh, motorcycle and been going down to the coast uh, a couple of times uh, recently. Um, and last weekend was uh, Dice Magazine's uh, one on one run, um, which was um, quite a, a cool event, uh, which featured quite a lot of. Uh, Harley Davidson choppers. Uh, traditionally, that's what they um, they have. And previous to that, there was a launch party up in uh, uh, Walthamstow in Signature Brew, which I've also attended. Uh, and what I love about these is uh, I get to go there and uh, take snaps of uh, people uh, in a in a very candid environment um, from behind a bush. From behind a bush, yes um and then get complaints about it yes <laughs> um so yeah and uh most recently dice have uh, featured some of my photography in their blog which was quite cool um so yeah i'm kind of trying to expand on that and uh, do a little bit of that but yeah it's a, it's it's also a nice uh, community and you get to meet up people uh that you've come across in in different parts of you know uh, of your life so julio attended the uh, the launch party and um that's cool um also met uh terry from wild turkey who i've known for uh a number of years now um and yeah it's just a, a nice nice gathering of uh cool bikes cool merch um uh, and most importantly cool people so yeah that was uh, really enjoyable so i'm um, yeah hoping hoping to do a few more ride outs to different parts of uh line around uh, near to London. And for those of us that don't know Dice Magazine, like what's it about? Motorcycles, basically motorcycle culture, uh, anything to do with that. So you've got artists um, doing lots of different work, like paint work, um, uh, people who build bikes, uh, tattoo artists, kind of everything that surrounds that, you know, that kind of the subculture um it will go in, in, into that so yeah that's cool um it's interesting to kind of there's obviously this whole like um uh, what do you call it like cafe racer kind of heritage modernization bike scene is that like does the magazine kind of focus on that or is it just sort of like any bike culture I, I, like I, I, how, I think it, it, it for? It's more aimed towards uh, kind of people who like to build their own independent bikes. So it could feature different kinds, but it, it's not really sporty bikes. It's more kind of heritage bikes. Um, but yeah, anyone anyone who's doing something interesting, basically, in, on a kind of on some kind of independent level, mostly, I would say that's um, who it's aimed at. Did um, yep. anyone pick up the latest clutch mensile? Oh, 
I've got a bit oh. of a, a, a bugbear with that one. So uh, I, I've never bought clutch or men's file before. Um, and I, I grabbed a coffee at the at the most recent um, men's file launch. It was the, the London issue. And uh, may, maybe I'm just getting old or maybe I'm a bit out of touch, but I assumed I'd be paying like 20 pounds ish for the magazine. Um, and so like, I just kind of, you know, said, hey, let me grab this. It's during the events, there's people everywhere and it's kind of crazy. So I'm like, yeah, let me just grab this and just slap my car in the contactless reader and didn't really pay attention. And then like I was later on on my way home and I look at my Monzo feed and it's like 35 pounds. I was like, holy shit, man. I guess maybe you could argue you're paying for two magazines in one. But uh, yeah, I was, I was actually really surprised how expensive it is. The... I'm just trying to think the normal clutch magazine is a little bit cheaper, not by much, but I think it's maybe around 25, 28 quid and the double issues are about 35 quid. Um, but yeah, and I think I, I assume also the price they're printed in Japan, I believe. So, and they, you know, they get shipped over here. So that probably adds some kind of pricing onto that. Um, Plus, it's all kind of, you know, it's done independently. It's not done on a large scale. Um, so, you know, they, they don't have huge sponsors behind it. Although, you know, there are ads in the magazine, but it's mainly ads that you'd probably, you know, the brands that you're kind of into or you, you would be into. So, um, yeah, I think it is it is quite pricey. But if you're into the, the subculture and you're into this, um, you know, into the scene, uh, I think it's personally worth it. And when you say double issue, does that basically mean a clutch issue that adds men's file onto it? Or do you mean that they always have both? But it's no, like no, no. so I think men's file is every six every months. quarter, yeah, or something like that, maybe six months or yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's biannually or um, every quarter. Um, so and then in between that, you'll just have clutch magazine by itself. Ah, I see. Um, so, so you'll have you'll have separate issues, and then yeah, they'll add a men's file on the on the other side. So you've got that's what I call it. That's what I'm calling a, a double issue there. Okay, so you're basically paying more, but you're basically paying for the you're men's file add-on. Yeah. Exactly, oh, okay. exactly. Okay. And that's and cool. you know, and the men's file bit is probably you know in some ways more interesting for Western audience because it's in English. And you can read it. <laughs> yeah, you can read it, and there's but there's also it's not just. Whereas Clutch, Clutch Magazine is more like, oh, here's the new styles and there's a little write-up, whereas um, Men's File has a bigger write-up on, um, you know, interviews and also go and see someone. So there's a little bit more, it's a little bit more content there than just pictures and, you know, this is a boot from this company, blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, Nick's an awesome dude and, and you know, what he does with Men's File is really, really laudable. So... Yeah, I, I could I, I could totally get with paying that extra premium to get a men's file added on to my clutch magazine. Essentially, um, that makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, good to know. Yeah, but um, I've I've always said this, but yeah, the the Lightning Archives are probably the uh, the best ones to to get because they cover a uh, a broad range of topics. Um, again, with within the scene, and they have you know some fantastic imagery in there and some fantastic references. Um, which are always helpful if you're kind of looking up things or, you know, it's like, oh, what's, you know, whatever is this piece from or things like that. So, and those uh, are in Japanese, right? 
those are in Japanese, but again, the, the text is minimal and you can just use the, the phone, camera, Google app to, Google uh, to yeah, to translate, you know, the minimal text that they have there. Lex, you were going to say something? Oh, they had, yeah, when we're in clutch, so talking of expensive magazines, they had the, uh, one of the latest lightning guides out was yeah. um, about Hawaiian shirts. Yes. And it looked amazing. I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and our friend Ed asked how much it was, and it's 60 quid for the magazine, <laughs> which was I was it... like, I've, I've got quite a few lightnings, and they're normally like 25, 30. Yeah, I was going to say, is that, is, that a, is that a new, new version, or is that a reissued version? Do you know? I, that I have no idea. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm wondering whether that was like a rare, rare issue, which they've just uh, decided to price up. Because I do. I do know they did bring a one out recently, um, so I think there is a new. Okay. Hawaiian shirt one, but how did you see how thick it was? Like, was it quite a thick one? Or? Yeah, it's a big. It's a big old magazine. Yeah, mm. it was quite thick, but um, not 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 really any thicker than the kind of the usual lightning workwear ones that you get so. i imagine a little bit of it is hawaiian shirts are very popular at the moment mm. and designers and stuff you know know to pick up yeah. a lightning magazine to get ideas from so maybe a little bit of that kind of go go yeah. surprise there's, there's probably that yeah i think um, this one was full of the like the sunsurf archives so i think it was all of like the archive garments that sunsurf used to kind of to replicate yeah. for their collection so Oh man, when I was um when I was doing a short course at Central St. Martin's, they had this book series. I'm trying to find the name in my Google Photos, but it was like a, a book series that got published, um, I think by maybe Ren Tanaka, who I, I forgot I know the name, but I forgot his 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 kind of claim to fame. But it was like these amazing book series, like, oh, uh, my free damn, but it's like D-A-M-N. And they did these amazing books. Like there was like one all about vintage tees, one all about souvenir jackets. Um, they were all printed in like the nineties or something. Um, and you can only get them on eBay for like hundreds of, uh, hundreds of dollars. Cause they like did like single print runs and stuff. But, um, yeah, these, these books were so cool and I'd, I'd love to get some of them, but I, I'm not even sure if you can anymore, but it's a, uh, my free damn, D-A-M-N, and they did like so many cool books. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm kind of going here. It's like Rin one just on Lewis Leathers or like yeah, just Rin one on West Coast Shoes. Rin Tanaka did a really uh, great book about um, motorcycle jackets uh, called The Century of Leather Design, um, which a lot of people have um, taken inspiration from. Um, so, yeah. He's, he's got some uh, definitely got some great uh some books out there I'll, I'll be damned no pun intended um i'm on the my freedom shop right mm -hmm. now and they've got a whole bunch of his books that i thought were no longer in print available for like 50 us a pop so like uh lex there's one here my freedom volume 7 uh vintage beach fashions Ooh. um and i think i remember these being pretty big chunky books so uh yeah, it looks like some of these you can actually get them for about fifty dollars a pop. Um, oh yeah, it's got some uh, yeah. some good ones. There's um, yeah, yeah, I thought these were all out of print. Yeah, forty nine ninety nine. Huh, it's not bad. If I was an archival person, which I'm not, 
I, I would definitely snack some snag some of these up. Like I remember my Freedom Five, the rock and roll book being pretty cool. I'd, I'd maybe get that one specifically, personally, because there's like a lot of like cool rock style, you know, kind of greasers, '60s rock, '70s rock. But but yeah, anyways, um, pr- pretty cool stuff. Um, Thank you for that. And I think there's some more that you can't easily find beyond just these ones. But if, if anyone can get into the CSM, Central St. Martin's library, I think they've got like the whole set there that you can just kind of like go through them. Well, I, uh, I, I can access it, so I will uh, I'll have a look next time I, I'm over at uh, King's Cross. Have a, note, have a snoop for you. Yeah, I, I remember scanning a bunch of them. I think there's some more beyond just these ones that they had that were kind of like big coffee table ones. And maybe that's ones you can't get but anyway anyways yeah uh report back let us know what you find um can i tell another story yes okay this is a good one i hope it has a point so (laughs) my my stories don't always have points so basically um a a couple of years ago now so one of my best friends him and his missus started a business they started like a big sewing factory um out in East London um, and the business is doing really well but as if anyone here has never started a business knows you make virtually no money with your skin so my best mate Josh I was like he didn't have any money to buy new clothes and he still doesn't really so I made him a pair of jeans as a Christmas present probably about two years ago um, you know just so he basically had something decent to wear but I just I was kind of making them based on a pair of his that I'd seen so they came out a little bit tight so he didn't really wear them for a while until uh, early this year or end of last year when all his other jeans fell to bits so he had to wear these jeans that were too slightly too small for him anyway so he's been wearing these jeans for maybe the last I guess nine months or so regularly what I didn't tell him is when I made them I when I made them on the pocket lining on the back pocket um, I embroidered a cock and balls <laughs> yes, I love it. It's like genius. So, anyway, um, if you check your WhatsApp now, boys, um, I oh, that's outstanding. That is class. So anyway, I met him for a couple of drink. Um, I met him for a few drinks a couple of weeks ago, and he was wearing the jeans. Um, so I was like, I was like, Josh, can I, can I look at your ass? And he was like, What? I was like, can I Look at your ass, mate. Anyway, um, yes, basically, after, I don't know, nine months, a year of wear, however long, he now has a really tiny cock and balls on his back pocket. Which... Lex, you know like what? This is a great place to start a brand. <laughs> That's Se- a... Secret schlong. Yeah, which he'd been wearing and he'd not noticed until, until I showed him the photo. Um, for our listeners, if you check out the Instagram page, we'll upload... We'll upload the photo to Instagram so you can kind of see, see one, my level of immaturity, and two, uh, what I did for a long-term prank. I think you might have told us about this at one of our like in-person hangouts a couple years ago. I, I feel like I remember you mentioning something about like someone's jeans would eventually fade to have this in their back pocket. Maybe yeah, we were I talking f- about like people who put like tobacco tins or something. Yeah, I think I have mentioned it to you, you guys, years ago. Once I did it, but I just, I never, I had no idea whether it would actually work or not, or whether when I embroidered it, whether it would be. This is the payoff. It, yeah, yeah. Um, graffiti. 
Yeah. Oh, so, oh, is, is, is it really bad? That's one of my proudest moments. Banksy would be not. proud. Definitely. Um, he's quite subtle. I mean, he'd never even noticed, so he doesn't care. He thinks, he thinks it's quite funny. And I was like, if he was really offended, we could have just sanded it away lightly anyway, so it wouldn't tell. But yeah. Anyway, that's my second story for the episode. Thank you, Lex. <laughs> my friend Ben, when we used to work at Levi's together, um, I was the alterations person. And he'd always be like, oh, yeah, can you just like slightly take these up or you know, like slightly taper these or whatever, just to get like a little bit of a better fit. Every single one that he still owns, all of them have a penis drawn on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally he'll send me a picture just like, oh, I forgot that was there. (laughs) And it just never washes out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll always be with him. It's worth mentioning that this is definitely not commonplace in our hobby. <laughs> I think I think we've got no, like a, a, a small microcosm of dudes into raw denim here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> <Just> disclaimer. <laughs> Anyone else need anything altered? <laughs> Lex and Tom are a part of some kind of hive mind that's um, slowly putting phalluses in everyone's clothing. Cult of the well, denim penis. Kevin, Kevin, who's obviously not in the chat today, he's going to see that that cock and balls in the in the WhatsApp chat and be like, "What on earth are they talking about?" No context, about? just no context, just post it. Right. <laughs> he's Dutch, so he'll have no shame. I mean, like, there's nothing that can offend a Dutchman. That is true. Is that a saying? Is that a fact? It's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you, Kevin? <laughs> Tom, have you got any other things to share? No? I don't think so. It's just too okay. hot. <laughs> it's too hot. Have we, have we got have we got any questions that uh, we need answering? Yeah, yeah questions. Oh, yes. I think we may have one or two. Yeah, we do actually have one exactly on that subject. Um, so... Then in penises? No. <laughs> Although that probably factors into this question, but um, what to do for denim in hot weather from MXN Boots Boy, who's a regular listener. Um, Kaz, th- thanks for the question. Wear, wear shorts. Yeah, wear shorts. Yeah, don't wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I'll, I've said it a few times and I'll say it again. Denim Bermuda shorts, which is basically like a five pocket chino short pattern. So like, you know, you've got your slash pockets on the side, you've got your welt pockets on the back. So it looks like a chino short, but made out of denim is a great way to go. Um, not enough brands make them as, a, as I've, you know, harked on about before, but um, I, yeah, I'd say five pocket chino shorts uh, made of denim or where it's at, um, but not uh, jean shorts. So not there are, a couple, there are a couple of brands that do um, what they refer to as like a summer weight denim. So you're kind of looking at like 10, 10 ounce. Um, but still, I mean, especially you know, for a lot of our, our kind of American, if we, you know, the, the American listeners that we have, and you know, if we've got any in kind of um, Southeast Asia and the like, um, this would not make, would not make you bat an eyelid at all. But um, obviously like over in the UK, uh, we had um, a heat wave, a very short lived heat wave, um, for a couple of days earlier in the week where we hit like the highest temperatures ever recorded in the UK, which is about 40 degrees uh, centigrade. 
Uh, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. David will know because he's American. They all use 100, 300, measurements. It's 100, 304. So in my office, it was measured as 41 Celsius, which was 105 Fahrenheit. Okay. Um, so yeah, 104 is roughly 103 will be 40 Celsius. Yeah, and that, I mean, like for us, I mean, the UK has a very stable, has a surprisingly stable climate. Um, was, right, it was unbearable to wear X jeans. climate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we know, I don't think any of us were wearing jeans those those two days. Um, I know I certainly won't be wearing jeans today when it's going up to about 30. Um, so, yeah, that, and, and actually we had this question asked on our Discord, which we do have uh and recommend people to join it because it would be nice to have more people on there so it can be a bit busy um and we can we can kind of shoot the shit there but um jake also asked that same question uh on our discord um so people know him on instagram as almost vintage style uh though his his twist to it was no shorts yeah how to deal with so and- I, I would say i would say if if you gonna wear jeans in in the heat uh go for a looser cut mm-hmm. so you've got a little bit more airflow yeah, as uh, possible loose as possible go for a lighter weight denim um i was testing out the uh cotton linen mix uh for black or slain which are i found to be really really breathable and relatively comfortable in in that be closer to weather. chambray no, no, it's denim. still, it's still, uh, denim. it's just, it's just less starchy what I found and it, it softens up a lot quicker than a cottonwood by itself. So after a few wears, um, yeah, it's already kind of has that easy drape on it. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, linen is quite, it's quite good in, in, in the heat. So yeah, something like that um and yeah maybe <clears throat> maybe wear shoes with uh you know low socks or no socks or you know sandals or something wherever your shoe preference is for for that time of year um to get extra airflow down on your you know on your ankles that's kind of the only thing i would uh, you know advise when uh if you really want to wear jeans uh so yeah that's that's kind of my my tip. I've got a fun little project that uh, might be worth collaborating with Lexon if he's interested. So I, I was in Greece uh, earlier this month slash end of last month on holiday. Um, and like when you go into like Greek clothing stores in the in the Cyclades Islands, they all kind of like embrace the like full linen outfit thing where it's like, you know, linen button down shirt, linen trousers. And I was thinking it'd be really funny to do a, 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 like a capsule kind of thing where you make like a, a linen five pocket jean and like matching linen like linen western shirt tuxedo. or something. <laughs> Be like the man um, from Del Monte. <laughs> What's Del Monte? Oh yeah, this is a this is a UK thing. Del Monte is this is so some people are going to tune out on this. Del Monte <laughs> is a brand of uh, that does like tin fruit and oh del monte yeah <laughs> right del monte fruit okay yeah yeah, yeah. and our, the adverts were a dude who used to go around to like various hot countries in a in a white linen suit and a panama hat 
checking out the fruit and he was the man from Del Monte. I don't know if I ever remember there being Del Monte. Well, Del Monte is what we'd call it back home commercials on t- on TV. I mean, you, you obviously you'd see it everywhere in the grocery store. You know, you're like 10 pineapple and that kind of shit, but uh, or like questionable origin bananas. But I don't remember there ever being uh, TV commercials. But yeah, I think there is some kind of like there's some truth in Lennon for hot weather. But um, one thing I wanted to throw out there, and this is maybe a, a challenge to Jake, is how can he be anti shorts? but embrace t-shirts, which are essentially the short equivalent for your upper body. This is a challenge challenge for anyone who like, I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt and shorts. Like I'm not, I'm not going to hate on either, but it's like, there's people who are like, I'll never wear shorts. I die before I wear a pair of shorts, like to my grave and and full length pants, but they'll like wear short sleeve tops. And I just don't understand that ethos of like, why would people show their arms but not show their legs? Like, what's the what's dude, the difference? Dudes with skinny legs. Yeah, uh, skinny. Okay. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I think it's also because t-shirts are traditionally like uh, it, 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 they're traditionally like an underlayer, aren't they? So that's why he's. But it's, it's still part so of it, underwear, ha- isn't it? Yeah, but like it hit a period in the fifties, didn't it, where it kind of yeah. became more acceptable to wear it as it was, whereas shorts, I think, never, never became to- acceptable. They've always been, you know, there's, yeah. you know, up until kind of a certain point, they were always, you wear them at the beach or you wear them doing sport or whatever. Yeah, but you they don't wear them. World War II Gurkhas in their Gurkha shorts. Yeah. But, that, but that's not walking down the street, is it? But, but TTs that, that's, weren't. That's wearing them in the jungles of. of yeah, like, it's the same as wearing fatigues yeah. in the jungle. Yeah, and then and now people wearing fatigues and, and these, uh, these are uh, English street. people. Like, <laughs> if anyone's gonna have a get all uppity about wearing trousers or shorts, it's gonna be English people. Yeah. So, but, but I don't think um I don't think tees were ever like properly accepted in U.S. culture in like mid-century. Like it was like you know if you're a greaser and you wore mm. t-shirts with your jeans, you're, you're very counterculture. Or if you were like you know, I don't which know. is what we though, which is what. That a lot of the heritage scene ties it leans towards is that counterculture. You never saw greasers cutting around in um, shorts. I'm not sure that's bikes. true. I'm not sure that's true. David, I mean, David's going to dig this up now and get it. No, no. Right. I mean, I, I just I'm skeptical, right? Like greasers in like Arizona, they surely probably wore shorts, you know, or like greasers in Texas, whatever. I, I'm, I mean, I know the quintessential look was the t-shirt and the jeans, but that's also because jeans were counterculture, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Maybe, maybe, I'm, sure, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they would have had cut off shorts at some point, but I mean, if if you were a greaser, you know, you, you might have been like on the motorcycle, and you probably wouldn't want to have shorts on the motorcycle. Yeah. So maybe that's that's why. But uh, yeah, I guess it just wasn't uh, that it wasn't as part of the romanticized mm-hmm. culture of it. So that's why it, you know wasn't maybe accepted in the same ways as as jeans are. Just to put it out there, I'm doing a quick Google. And yep. the Sandlot, which is period accurate to a T, it's perfect. Uh, one of the characters from the Sandlot was wearing shorts on uh, in that movie. Um, I but they're the... all like twelve-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 we all right for kids. To wear shorts. I'm being I'm being, so I'm like being silly. Twelve-year-olds from the 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was Ham. That's if anyone knows weird. Ham, the kind of big redhead dude, he was he was rocking shorts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love the Sandlot. That was a, a great. Uh, a great recreation of 50s American life. And so, Jake, if you like the Sandlot, you can wear shorts. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jake does like the Sandlot. 
<laughs> I, 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 but he won't like shorts. <laughs> well, if he wants tracks. to be fully vintage and not almost vintage, maybe he needs to embrace shorts. I think he needs to go uh, scuba trunks. Definitely, everyone does. <laughs> yeah, scuba trunks are the best. Just don't wear them near um, schools or um, places of worship, and you'll be fine. One thing I haven't, uh, <laughs> haven't haven't had a chance to try out yet, but uh, I did see that Full Count makes some really nice uh, chino shorts. So, like like black, olive, mm -hmm. khaki, which in America means tan, and Britain means olive. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's so beige shorts. Uh, so worth checking those out too, if if anyone can get their, your hands on them. Uh, they look pretty cool. Cool. Should we do any more any more questions for today, or do folks need to do, need to do, bounce? Do we have any? Yeah, I'm gonna have to bounce yeah. shortly. Yeah. Do we have any other questions? Maybe we actually don't. Um, yeah, maybe we don't. But yeah, I just want to plus one Andy's comment about folks getting on our Discord. Um, we'd love to kick it. There's no paywall. There's no uh, requirement to join our OnlyFans or Patreon to to access it. Um, but yeah, may, maybe on that note, good good kind of place to to wrap up for this episode. So as always, um, thank you for listening to our podcast. We're almost uh, big 2-0 next episode, which would be exciting. Wee. Yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, and um, yeah, so, you know. We, we don't actually have the Discord link on our link tree. <gasps> yeah, because I think so it expire, expires over time. But if uh, anyone messages us on Insta, we can we can send you a link to it, but I'll see if there's like a non-expiring one. Um, but in the past, they they had like a timeout, like 30-day timeout or something. Um, so I'll take a look. But uh, if if I can add it, I'll add it to our our link tree. Um, but yeah, as always, you know, like and review us, whether it's uh, and also subscribe. So obviously these videos are on YouTube now, but we're still on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Um, you know, give us a shout on Instagram and jump on our Discord uh, and join in the banter. Uh, we'd love to have you. And of course, we're still trying to organize uh, monthly meetups in London, which uh, Ilya's kind of been carrying the torch for. So come kick it with us uh, next time you're in London as well. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, and see you next episode.